Thank you for listening to the Fierce Audi podcast where we talk about disability, quackery, parenting, and Jewish life. Um, I am an autistic advocate. If you don't know who I am, um, I have been doing this for about a long time. Um, I was late diagnosed when I was... um, When I was 32, I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was six. So I was put in um, ABA when I was uh, very small. So I do have a distinct memory of it. Um, But um, a lot of people don't know what ABA is. A lot of uh, parents get pushed into it. And I'm here um, um, here to answer that. So ABA is based off um, behaviorism, behaviorism, um, the be- off the behaviors BF Skinner um, through varying techniques. Um, ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. Um, it is a type of therapy. I wouldn't call it therapy, but compliance training that focuses on behaviors such as social skills, communication, reading, academics, etc. It's often used on children and adults who are autistic, but it has been used for other things. Um, I was put in it for um, ADHD when I was little because I was, to quote my mother, dancing around the room while doing my homework. So apparently that wasn't appropriate and I had to sit still. Um, I had to sit still, so when I was in it, I, excuse me. What? Why? What? No. No. Thank you. Um, sorry about that. So I was in it to, to be able to sit still. It was about 40 hours a week. So I went to school, I came home and the BCA, BCBA was waiting for me. She brought a, a red, um, plastic desk that I had to sit in and it was really light plastic, sort of like the little tykes furniture you have for little kids. And um, I was made to sit in there for eight hours if I was moving around. They positioned me to sit on my hands. And at that point, when I was that age, I was a small child. Um, The uh, puberty hadn't hit yet. I haven't gained the weight from um, having polycystic ovaries yet. So it was, and it's norm to do it 40 hours a week. And how it started, um, a person by the name of Ivar Lovas started to work in institutional uh, treatments where he was using approaches by, like I said before, B.F. Skinner, um, people who were self-injuring were, were given hugs and given love without the person's choice. For me, if I'm, you know, having a hard time, no one can touch me. It just makes it worse. Okay. Um, so he looked at, um, at stimming you know, self, um, stimulation, hand flapping, twirling your hair, listening to things on repeat, which I do in the car daily. It drives my kids nuts. Um, but, um, it was an obstacle to learning. So his idea was to use electric shocks, to try to stop it. Um, so it is him who we thank for the people who have died over at, uh, the Judge Rottenberg Center. Great, huh? So he was trying to eliminate stimming as a whole in um, the book Neural Child by Steve Silverman, which we absolutely love him. He said that Lovas would say, would say things like, they have eyes, they have ears, they have noses, but they're not really people. You have the raw materials of a person, but you have to build the person. He actually did say that. He called stimming um, garbage behavior. He believed that if a child was stimming, they were unable to learn. Lovas came to the conclusion because children in his labs were in conditions of extreme stress 
um, it was because they were stimming, not the other way around. It turns out that the stress was causing people and those children to stim because they were under extreme stress. And what he was doing to these kids was nothing short of abuse. There's no way of spinning it. Um, the, there was a theory that they were act that we were acting out because our parents didn't show us love or incapable of doing so. Not everybody has parents like mine. My parents should have never had children. Um, they called these parents a refrigerator parents. So if if you didn't hug your child, you caused your child to be autistic. It doesn't make any sense. In 1960, Dr. Leo Kanner described parents. Um, of autistic children is happening to defrost enough to produce a child. This is where the term refrigerator parent comes from. Bruno Bettelheim, excuse me if I pronounce this wrong, promoted the use of the term. Bettelheim felt that children would benefit from a parenectomy or being removed from the home. They would better be served in a clinic or institution. I can tell you from having four children who went through the foster care system that being removed from the home is a very traumatic event. And even though that three of them have been with us for, I want to say close to seven years, there's still a lot of trauma to go through. They, they have no idea what this does to a child being removed, even if it's for a just reason, it was a just reason, but it's still traumatic for the child. This was when autism was viewed as disorder of faulty parenting. It was thought this for a very, very long time. Um, Don Bear, Montrose Wolf, Sid Bayou, I think his name is, um, Todd Risley, James Sherman, and Ivor Lovas were establishing behavior mo- modification at the University of Washington. Lovas introduced behavior modification to institutions for people who displayed self-injury. Some were severe enough to cause premature death. They didn't look at why um, people were distressed. They just wanted to correct the behavior. They didn't care about what was going on in their mind or what they were battling. They just wanted the behavior to stop. And everyone needs to remember that behavior is communication. No matter how you spin it, if you're upset and you hit the wall, you're communicating that you're upset and something needs to change, right? Um, this treatment that they tried include, included no longer providing hugs and loving when engaging in self-injurious behavior. Love and hugs were given when the patients were not injuring themselves. So withholding love when people are in distress can cause other psychological issues. Um, they would apply punishments, you know, like we said before, electric shock was very popular back then. And thankfully, I think it's only used in one place now, which People are working very hard to try to stop, but they are make the federal government is making it extremely difficult. Um, the result of the data that they collected showed most occasions of self-injury was the result of prior learning, not from traumatic childhood events. It could be modified by altering Contingencies following their occurrence, self-injury was acquired through positive social attention and reduced when removed. This is just operant conditioning, not that it should ever be used on people ever. Attention, the first behavior function was identified. So in the 1960s, Lovas attempted to help children avoid the path to institutions by creating an intervention to teach language to autistic children. The hope of it was language would generalize other core differences that autistic people experience. This is when they started to pathologize play. So if someone turned over a car and was spinning the wheels, not on the ground, that was looked at as something that needed to be fixed instead of just letting people play, leave kids play alone. This started when, okay, children received about 40 hours a week of this training for about 13 months. I explained my experience, how I was trapped in a plastic desk for eight hours after school. I went to school for eight hours. I came home. The BCBA was waiting for me. Um, 
and my parents would just goad them on and they would just continue the I was restrained and when I would for example I wouldn't sit down to eat food I wasn't sitting still they took an apron that my father would use because he used to work for Random House in New York City um, we lived on Long Island he would take the apron and tie me to the chair with it like it would go over my neck and then he would tie the back of it to the back of the chair okay and but with um, Lovas they would they would receive 40 hours a week of this training for about 13 months after 13 months children were discharged to their homes or institution they were instead of having it in their home towards the beginning they were sent somewhere to live for 13 months away from their parents um, the second phase was years later the treatment and no treatment phases were a result of loss of acquisition funding so they were even losing funding towards the beginning um, to do this as they should have this should never have been done to begin with the lead to a research design known as ABBA reversal this is now considered unethical along with everything he did the study was was first to demonstrate young autistic children could learn at an accelerated rate. New parameters for treatment were discovered. This was the first intensive intervention study. In 1993, um, Lovas published long out, Long-Term Outcome for Autistic Children with Autism Who Received Intensive Behavior Treatment. This was to answer the question of what happens to children after they receive therapy. Their findings showed eight out of nine had maintained their masks. They no longer acted autistic. It wasn't because they weren't autistic anymore. It was survival. If I were to act myself at home, I would get beaten. And I'm sure it happened to those kids way back when too, even before there were um, child abuse, child abuse laws. Um, it, not acting the way you are naturally was a means of survival. You wouldn't get beat that day. You wouldn't have your food taken away that day. I mean, there were days I went without eating. And because of this, I didn't know how to say no. I mean, I did, but I was afraid to because I didn't start ABA until after my diagnosis. Um, my parents paid for it out of pocket because they didn't cover it for um, ADHD. But um, during the 1980s, practitioners were working off the strengths and limitations of that first study um, where they were, kids were sent away for 13 months. Hi, Rue. Hi, Rue. Um, they were significant steps to alter the way autistic children receive treatment. They, it was a study called Behavioral Treatment and Normal Intellectual Functioning in Young Children with Autism. Um, it was when it was published. 60 children were put in three groups. Two groups received 40 hours a week. The control group received 10 hours a week of the same therapy or compliance training. Lovas was known as the father of ABA after this study. Um, yeah. So, but there is science. There were studies showing that ABA doesn't work and it is harmful. Um, the U.S. Department of, of Defense, um, the U.S. Navy to be exact, um, did two consecutive studies with the same outcome, is that ABA doesn't work. Um, they had 928 artistic participants, quote unquote, improvements after 12 and 18 months were looked at. They concluded that the changes were small and may not be clinically significant. Um, important to note, um, when I wrote this, it was, I want to say, three years ago. So the value of the ABA industry is much higher than what I have written here. Um, the ABA industry is a $17 billion a year industry, at least. This was written in 2019. So it is definitely higher than that, um, The you know, with inflation. Uh, the force that drives the use of ABA with the autistic community is money. Um, people will say something is ABA just to get it covered by insurance and it would, yeah, it would compel Medicaid and insurance to cover it. As of a couple of years ago, every state 
requires ABA to be covered. Um, the report states that the scores worsen with more ABA hours. So the more hours you have, um, the more stressed these children become and the more they act out, which is what we say before. <sighs> Behavior is communication. Um, there does not appear to be a correlation between the outcome measures and the number of hours rendered. In other words, the number of hours rendered does not appear to impact outcomes. The amount of direct ABA services was correlated with improvement. The trend line would demonstrate statistically significant negative slope, which it does not. According to the study um, done by the U.S. Department of Defense, the current treatment options for these children not only goes against current knowledge and research on, on autism, but while unintended creates lasting damage and abuse, which goes against the very oath the professionals take to do no harm. Um, there was another study done um, called ABA leads to missed misinformed treatment of self-injurious behaviors. So self-injurious behaviors are a class are defined as a class of behaviors often highly repetitive and rhythmic that result in physical harm to the individual displaying the behavior. So if I go to, I often do this when I am stressed. Um, I don't know, maybe you saw me do it on Dr. Oz. I was trying to hide it, but some of the things he was saying were, you know, not right but I digress. Um, the, autistic P, uh, the autistic population, SIB, are classified as non-suicidal self-injurious behavior. This can be sometimes hitting themselves in the face, headbanging, or stretching, stretching your fingers farther than they should. Even someone who is hypermobile like me, even stretching it out like that, even though my joints will allow it, it still hurts. The most popular assessment for it is the functional behavior assessment or called the FBA. Um, I have refused it for all of my children and wrote not so nice things on the form that they sent home. We never got another one sent back again for a good reason. The purpose of this assessment is to determine the function of the behavior. This is widely used in ABA and it is typically conducted by a board certified behavior analyst, BCBA. Um, those are people who normally uh, carry out the ABA program. Um, the BCBA looks for anecdotal and consequence of SIB in order to determine the function of behavior. Anecdotal evidence is not accepted as scientific evidence. Anybody who has done anything um, in a scientific study, we'll know that. And those of you who haven't, um, there's your explanation. Anecdotal evidence is not accepted in a scientific setting. It isn't clear why they would assume assessment would be appropriate to assess thoughts, feelings, and other internal processes, as they seem to worry about, all they seem to worry about is behavior, not the reason the behavior exists in the first place. Instead of approaching the SIB and understanding them in a way they are understood in other populations, the BCBA misapplies the FBA in an attempt to measure them despite they cannot be measured. This makes the FBA unscientific and methodologically flawed. The FBA is not scientific, should never be given to any child. Um, for example, one of my children had, had to have it in order to be classified in special ed program. Um, I didn't know that they were doing this. They didn't tell me this till after the fact, but um, my third youngest let them know how wrong it was. He has a big mouth like I do. Um, and sometimes it's not so great at home, but I love that he can advocate for himself. He, they tried to get him to force eye contact, but he has no problem with eye contact. So he goes, well, I'll look you in the eyes, but not everybody can. And he let them know. And I am glad he did. Smart. He's a very smart, very talented boy. Um, I did touch on my experience with ABA. My mother, I mean, both of my parents were extremely abusive. They both wanted non-disabled children, which didn't make any sense to me. I was conceived on the same 
fertility drugs that my other kids, my biological kids were conceived on. So if you're having trouble having kids, obviously you're going to want them no matter what and treat them with respect. I don't get people who go through all this heartache just to abuse them, but I digress. Uh, my mother called a ABA was the therapy to make me normal. Um, I was forced to maintain eye contact. For me, eye contact is very painful. Like if I look someone in the eye, I can literally feel it in my eyeballs. It's really hard to explain. Um, I was, and my reinforcer was M&Ms. I was not able to even be in the same area as M&Ms for at least six years after I left home. And I'm not even kidding. I would cry if I saw M&Ms. And my mother would actually call me dog names because they equated it to, to dog training. And they thought it was funny. Um, I was constantly being dehumanized by them and my BCBA. Um, as I mentioned before, I was meant I was made to sit on my hands or I was trapped in the desk. Um, I would be told I was a bad child and nothing. I, I would never amount to anything. I would never graduate, but you know, here I am. I graduated Regents Diploma in New York State, and I have a bachelor's in veterinary technology and own my own uh, pet business. But I'm not going to amount to anything. I was never, you know, never amount to anything. Um, I helped put Mark Grennan and the other people who are responsible for the bleaching of children in federal lockup. They are on Marshall hold, but I will never amount to nothing. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm not to anything. Um. That was talked about that red desk I was um, I was forced into um, as a child, I would squeeze and pet stuffed animals because they were my only the only way I felt safe and they were taken away from me. Um, um, the, th the BCBA told me I would not eat that day or a preferred toy. I did not if I did not look at her, she even slapped my hands when I started to fidget. Um, remember, this was back in the late 80s, early 90s, where a lot of these uh, child abuse laws were not um, really in effect. Um, the name of my therapist, I don't remember her last name. Her name was Rebecca. Um, the only major meltdowns I had was during my ABA sessions because I felt trapped. I wasn't able to move. And I was in my flight or flight. I was six and a half, I want to say, yeah, I was about six and a half when I started this. It was soon after um, I was diagnosed with, they called it severe ADHD with neurological deficiencies. They didn't want to call me autistic back in the 80s because I'm a girl. I was a girl. Um, but yeah. Uh, ABA did stop when um, I was mainstreamed into the general education class. I had um, some support services. I, so I went from an IEP to a 504. But after this, the abuse didn't end. Um, my first general education teacher thought it would be a really great idea to announce to the class that I came from special ed. So I was forever marked as the R word and I was um, the target for ridicule. And um, constantly compared to my brother who was in general education classes his entire time. I mean, when I was in, in kindergarten, he would do my homework for me because I had a hard time sitting still. My mother didn't know that because if she did, I would have gotten beaten. Um, this brother was quote unquote, the golden child and he could do no wrong. Um, now I teach my children to be happy who they are, to never change, never be afraid of who you are, and they seem to be really happy. I mean, extremely happy. Um, my uh, fourth youngest just had his bar mitzvah yesterday and he was able to be himself. Um, he wasn't forced to have a party like I was. Um, he, after he was done, he did great by the way. He, um, he came, we came home, he got out of his suit and he slept the rest of the day. He was burnt out but he's very happy that he did it. I am so proud of him. But anyway, so um, I watched a, a documentary on conversion therapy and I compared it to my experience with, um, with ABA because they are founded by the same people. 
So I wanted to see if there was any similarities. I did it on a day where I didn't have much to do. So um, I just sat and watched it. And as I watched it, I typed my notes and then I put it together. Um, so we're going to explore conversion therapy. Anderson Cooper did a documentary. This is a documentary I was talking about. There was a little boy at UCLA with this experimental therapy. To this day, conversion therapy enthusiasts consider it a victory. It's it's awful. Um, his family said he was never the same after therapy. This therapy was supposed to treat effeminate young boys. So little boys that um, quote unquote acted like girls. Nobody cares. I let my third youngest go to the Ren Fest in an Elsa dress and the people who work there cheered him on. That's how it's supposed to be. Okay. I mean, he outgrew it, but if he wanted to dress like that, more power to him. It's for, it, it, it makes him happy. That's all that matters. Right. Um, okay. So his family said he was never the same. I use the word therapy um, very, very loosely. This therapy was supposed to treat effeminate young boys. It was experimental therapy um, funded by the government. And its goal was to reverse perceived feminine behavior. They didn't even look into something like Klinefelter syndrome, where there are two X chromosomes and one Y chromosome. That condition is very um, is very common in the autistic community. After a friend of mine asked me to do a little research on it because um, her son has it, very, I've heard very lovely things about her son. He does identify as a boy. Moving on, um, so it. This, this child who was put through this experiment, the only thing that they did was destroy our brother. This was from this little boy's brother. Their mother was concerned because of his feminine behaviors. I wanted him to grow up to have a normal life. So she was trying to, she thought she was being a good mom, but way back when they didn't know any better. And it's really, it, it's sad that these people had to go through this because to us, it seems like common sense that you just let people live how they're supposed to live, how they should, how they feel happy with themselves and not have to change who they are. This group um, of behaviors was later called sissy boy syndrome. Not my words. Um, George Records was the therapist who, um, who abused this child. At the time, he was a medical student and he later graduated becoming the founding member, I'm sorry, founding member of the Family Research Council, the FRC sought to prevent gay marriage and gay adoption and stop laws that to protect LGBTQ. He believed that homosexu homosexuality can be prevented. Um, all the science proves that it's just a normal part of nature, but okay. Um, to treat the, his behavior, he was put in a room repeatedly. This room had a large table one side of the table had toys that were marketed to boys, and on the other side, there were toys that were marketed to girls. He was observed through a one-way one window. He also had costumes to choose from, sort of like a cowboy and a princess or something like that. His mother was brought into the room. She was instructed to ignore her son when he chose perceived uh, feminine toys or costumes. This is In ABA, this is called planned ignoring. My parents did this to me all the time. So how that affects me um, is that if someone doesn't acknowledge me when I talk to them, I get overly paranoid that um, I'm being ignored. And it's very hard. I mean, my, my, my kids see it sometimes. I try, but, you know, it's an everlasting effect. Um, she would compliment him when he picked up the toys marketed to boys. When ignored, he would cry. He would beg for her attention and he was in... He was in the extreme distress. He would quote unquote throw tantrums. That's what um, they use. Those are not my words. His mother was instructed to continue ignoring him. According to his sister, he once got so upset he had to be removed from the room. After this incident, they would tell his mother that it was working. So this is basically the same mentality that the bleach quacks have, where if there's side effects, so they would say it was working and they would need to, in the, as far as um, the MMS goes, they would tell the parents to administer more. But as far as this goes, um, 
because he was in such distress, they were doing it more. I can't imagine doing this to my children when they were in distress. It, it, it boggles the mind. After this incident, they would tell his mother that it was working. After a short break, they would bring him back to the room and start the process all over again. And I would love to know how long the short break was. I bet you it was not even three minutes because that's exactly how the BCBAs do it. This therapy continued outside of UCLA. At home, there were poker chips being given, red chips for feminine behavior and blue chips for masculine behavior as by, instructed by the UCLA. His brother was doing it to reinforce Kirk. Kirk was the name of the little boy. If Kirk received red chips, it resulted in physical punishment by spanking from his father. His brother even took red chips from his brother to protect him. Whipping every Friday night, his mother said. His father beat him so hard there were welts up and down his back and on his buttocks. After this went on, Kirk changed. He was no longer outgoing, but he started to behave in a way his parents wanted him to. The impact of this therapy lasted his entire life. This, my friends, is called masking. You do this for survival because you think you're going to die if you do something to upset the people who are supposed to protect and love you. In the experiment report, they called him Craig to protect his identity. The doctor considered this his work a success because he acted like a quote-unquote normal boy. He used it as proof to say homosexuality can be reversed. His family says they just recently discovered the report and they are outraged. He is gay. He acknowledged himself as gay, but would not allow himself to be, to have a committed relationship. He focused on his work. He started a career in the U.S. Air Force where being openly gay was impossible. He went on to have a high profile position with a finance company in India. Kirk took his own life in 2003. He was deeply depressed and struggled with being a gay man. His family blamed his short life on the therapy. His sister stated what they really told him was the very core of who he was, was broken. Does that sound familiar? It definitely should. His mother said they were manipulated. They had no idea that Kirk was used as an example of a boy who was no longer has feminine behaviors. He would have been better off if we did not take him. That's coming from his mother. You know how many times I wish my mother said something like that? When Krieger was cornered about Kirk's death, he was very apathetic and unempathetic. When he asked what he thought about the family blaming him, he said that the science, it's, that is scientifically inaccurate. He went on to say the therapy happened decades before his suicide. If anybody knows anything about trauma, trauma stays with you forever. It might get a little bit easier if you have a strong support system. Kirk did not. He had nobody. He thought that however he was, he couldn't go to anybody. He didn't trust anybody because when he was himself, he was beaten and abused. When Kirk was evaluated by Dr. Richard Green at 18, Kirk told him that he tried to kill himself the year before by swallowing aspirin. I do not want to grow up to be gay. Can you imagine that? Years later, the same doctor was caught hiring a male escort. He said he did not have any sexual contact, but the escort stated he was giving the doctor sexual massages. After the scandal, he resigned from the FRC. A little hypocritical, don't you think? His research is still being cited. This was a little boy who deserved respect, dignity, and unconditional love. Um, the, the documentary, if you so want to see it, is, it, is on, um, it is on YouTube. You see, pretty much from scratch, when you work with an autistic child, you have a person in the physical sense. They have hair, a nose, and a mouth. But they are not people in the psychological sense. One way to look at the job of helping autistic kids is to see it as a matter of constructing a person. You have the raw materials, but you have to build the person. This was said by Ovar, Ivar Lovas. 
He was the founder of ABA and conversion therapy. They call him the father of ABA. So after watching the documentary I just discussed, there are so many similarities between the ABA I experienced when this poor boy, that this poor boy went through. Everything was act, everything was acting what they wanted or faced the consequences. Stimming was discouraged. I was forced to sit on my hands or I would be tied in a chair with an apron. I was forced to make eye contact even if it physically hurt. They did not care. If not, they would actually shine light in my eyes. I now found out I have um, Arlen syndrome, which is a light processing um, disorder where I actually, if you are watching via YouTube, Facebook, or Twitch, you will see I have um, a blue tint to my glasses. It blocks out blue light because um, the blue light actually causes me extreme pain. And I didn't know what it was. I thought it was normal. Um, they would they would shine a light in my eyes. They would take a bright flashlight and shine it right at me. Or they would take a comfort item from me and wonder why I was in such distress. Um, if that didn't work, I would get beaten. Um, for those who are wondering, um, I do not I do not have a relationship with my parents. Um, I have cut them off several years ago. They did open money in my uh, biological kids' names, and I had to go through this whole big thing so they wouldn't lose their disability. Um, I was able to get the paperwork showing it was an UTMA account, which basically it belongs to the kids, but they can't access it till they're 18. Um, at least they won't be able to use it for tax evasion. They did this to me, and I had several accounts frozen, um, and they acted like they were doing me a favor by fixing it. Okay, so ABA stands for Applied Behavior Analysis. It exists to make us better or to recover us to make us normal. Children are in ABA for about 40 hours a week, like we discussed earlier, and no child needs to be in any type of therapy for that many hours. It is a full-time job, and if they are at school, they will have time for nothing else. All I did was school, ABA, and sleep. And we squeezed religious school in there. I'm still um, surprised that was actually able to happen. Uh, children who are in ABA who are also in school are not able to be children. These amount, this amount of time segregates children from their peers. ABA robs us of our dignity, power, and self-worth. Nearly half of people exposed to ABA went on to develop post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. It is compliance training. I do have a diagnosis of um, generalized anxiety disorder, um, CPTSD, which is complex CPTSD. Um, major depressive disorder. And I think that's for psychiatric. I think that's it. I think that's enough. So this is compliance training. The goal of ABA is to decrease or increase targeted behaviors. The child is conditioned to a cue. The child does the child does the correct behavior and the child is given a reward. It's very similar to conversion training and it can be similar to dog training. I'm a veterinary technologist, but the big difference is, is when we're doing rewards and all that with dogs, their brains are not the same as ours. So this cannot affect them the same way it affects our brain. It's, I wrote a blog on it. Um, and, you know, explaining difference between the dog's uh, brain and our brain and how it, you know, it doesn't make any sense. Biologically, dogs cannot experience training like we can. Um, but the difference is when you're training a dog, like when I was training my dog, Ralph, he, before he, before he passed, um, I adopted him when he was about 12 weeks, he was a bait dog. So he had some, some trauma. So I only trained him when he was able to be so when he was done i didn't chase him force him down onto the floor and say hey you must sit now no i let him be and then we came back to it later and we only maybe did 20 minutes a day i mean that's all you really need not and you this should never be done on children this is i'm um, speaking specifically for dogs because if you did to children what you do to if you do if you do to dogs what you do to children, you're more likely to get bit. That's basically what's gonna happen. 
there's um yeah but there's no consideration consideration for the child's emotion or well-being they only focus on the behavior um just use my experience as an example if i would hand flap or my plush cat would be taken or things like that um they say aba has changed i was an aba when i was a child as i said before um the other day my husband's on his google drive because he was doing something for aim usa because he's another person on um on our board he does he does some background work him being an ex-police officer he he offers a lot of knowledge that um so we can work with people to make make this world a better place for us so saw there was something shared with him from Palm Beach School for Autism. So Palm Beach School for Autism was an ABA-based school that we sent our kids to, but we had it in our in their IEPs that they were not allowed to do ABA on our kids, and they hated it that we knew of this loophole. So if you have your kids in school, make sure it says no ABA methods done on your children. If they tell you they can't do it, they absolutely can't, and they're lying. And if they try to tell you that, Call the State Department of Education because you are half of that committee. You are half of the IEP committee. Don't let them tell you otherwise. Um, so they shared something with him. Um, this is a school that tried giving um, my diabetic son insulin while his blood sugar was low. He has a pump where if it, if it, see, it connects with a continuous glucose monitor, so if it shows that it's going low or going to be low, it will not allow any insulin delivery, which thank goodness, because the nurse went to bolus him and the pump said no. Nurse called us saying the pump was broken. We, we can look at Dexcom through our phones because he takes a phone with him so we can see what he is at school. And I said, don't touch him. We're coming to get him now, now. And they BCBA thought she knew better than his endocrinologist and they didn't seem to care that they almost killed him they could have killed him um but the head bcba there proceeded to tell my husband and i separately that the neurodiversity movement is a hate group yes the very people that they are supposed to be serving are a hate group let that sink in god forbid autistic people be proud of who they are and not feel like we're all broken all the time we are not a tragedy ABAers will tell you ABA has changed, but check this out. This is proof that they didn't. This is dog training. When I train my dogs, they are treated a lot better and actually have autonomy. Imagine that. This teacher should be ashamed of herself. We are not dogs. We are people with emotions. We need, we have needs. We have boundaries. Unfortunately for us at that point, the school was the only choice. Thankfully that um, the Palm Beach Public Schools, they changed their autism program and our children are thriving in public schools. And they're going to have a much better experience than I did. But when um, autistic people speak out about ABA, we are often silenced. When I say, hey, I've been through it, this, this, a, B, and C was my experience. They'll want me to talk about in depth about my experience for hours and hours and hours, but not use it. That very act is abusive. Imagine making you make someone making you relive your experience in a very traumatic event and you, and for nothing, and you're having to relive it and bringing up these past feelings when you're working so hard to live with it. So this is not hap this has happened more than once. So last year I was um, interviewed for USA Day Today and talking about um, the autistic community and, um, you know, and how we do want to educate parents, but this, it can't be like this, right? So I spent hours on the phone with this person, this article was published actually april of 2022 it felt like it felt like ages ago it was by sarah minusco 
Minusco. Yeah, that's what her name is. Sorry, it's hard for me to pronounce. And we spent hours on it. She spent, she, I was one of the few autistic adults that they talked to about the neurodiversity movement. And they made it seem like they used me. I thought we, they were doing an article to educate people about how autistic people are. And they had other people in there promoting ABA and promoting people silencing autistic adults. That's not what this is about. If I knew that what was going to happen, I would have never spilled to her like that. You know, she actually found me through my web, my work website, um, divergentpetcare.com. And because I am very forthcoming, all my clients know that I'm an autistic adult. Um, I had a hard time leveling with vet, uh, veterinarians around here. So my husband's idea was for me to start my own pet care business. So I do pet nursing and pet sitting, dog walking, you know, anything that a pet needs because I have credentials. People come to me with their medically uh, needy pets, which is really, which is nice. It's nice to be entrusted and it feels good to be entrusted with their baby. But using that to contact me, to violate me like that was not okay. Okay. Then very recently, I want to say a few months ago, there was um, an autistic adult who went to Minnesota State University who wrote a letter to the editor called MSU must recognize neurodiversity and apologize for perpetuating systemic neuralism. Neuralism is against people with neurological differences, like people who are autistic, ADHD, dyslexic, and things like that, right? They took this letter down. I got a Google alert about it the other day. Um, and you know how I got the letter? By using the Wayback Machine at archive.org. This person was being silenced. I did call out uh, I did call them out on Twitter. No response. Big surprise. Um, allow me to read this letter because this person has been silenced and it's not right. So let's unsilence them so we can all listen to what they said. This person's name is, this person's name is Bruce Wenzel. As a graduate assistant in the Department of Sociology, I strive to stimulate the quality of mind that C. Wright Mills termed the sociological imagination, that is the capacity to shift from one perspective to another. And as founding president of the neurodiversity activist and senator of graduate studies in the student government, my mission, in the words of queer autistic scholar Nick Walker, to shift the prevailing culture and discourse away from patho pathology paradigm and toward the neurodiversity paradigm. Basically, I, I guide the university community to recognize that neurological diversity is, to quote Walker, a natural form of human diversity subject to the same societal dynamics as other forms of diversity. Indeed, just as BIPOC students in attempt to cope with institutional racism, acquire racial battle fatigue, neurodivergent students in attempt to cope with institutional neural neuralism, acquire neurological battle fatigue. If you've never heard of these italicized words, I don't blame you for it. For I invented them in the spring of 2021 after personally observing and enduring the phenomena. Unfortunately, in the year and a half since the term coinage, this university has only made things worse for neurominorities on campus, namely continuing to support the presence of Applied Behavior Analysis, or ABA, which many of my neurokin have nicknamed Autistic Conversion Therapy, and for a good reason. As I wrote my first letter to the editor, of the MSU reporter on April 26, ABA was pioneered by UCLA psychologist Ivarlo Vos in the early 1960s to make autistic kids, quote, indistinguishably indistinguishable from their peers, unquote. Like a vast majority of today's so-called experts on autism, Lo Vos and his autistophobic I don't like that word, autistophobic. Okay. Um, colleagues operated under the assumption that there is one normal neurology 
which is just as bigoted as believing that there is one normal sexuality. Makes sense. It is only fitting that Lovas later co-founded the government-funded Feminine Boy Project, which sought to convert queer kids into straight kids. You see, conversion therapy for LGBTQIA plus people is just ABA imposed on gender, sexual, and romantic minorities. And conversion therapy for autistic and otherwise neurodivergent people is just ABA imposed on neuro-minorities. Indeed, the queer movement and the neurodiversity movement are both fighting for the abolition of the same thing. They just don't know it yet. Over the last six months, I have worked tirelessly to organize, unify, and mobilize queer and neurodivergent communities to flip the Minnesota Senate and pressure legislature to pass a comprehensive ban on all forms of conversion therapy in Minnesota. Hence, my organization's uh, partnership with the Jim uh, Colgren LGBTQ Center to co-host Nick Walker herself this past April, my move on petition entitled Ban Autistic Conversion Therapy in Minnesota. My LTE of the Mankato Free Press, my guest appearance on the Triple Falls podcast and Radio Mankato the online panel discussion I organized with Jorn Betton of AutoCollab to commence the fifth International Day of Protest Against ABA. My plea to MSU to prohibit the, the Caravel Autism Health and ABA business from exhibiting at the 2022 Career and Internship Expo on October 19th. On October 18th, uh, Walker will return to MSU via Zoom from 3 to 4.30 p.m. to discuss the need to ban ABA, among other things. Proponents of ABA have already given me an actual autistic graduate student who are more familiar with the topic quite a bit of grief over my opposition to ABA. Going so far as to falsely claim that my protests are racially motivated. To clarify, there are innumerable innumerable neurodivergent people of color around the world who are also anti-ABA due to in part the fact that they view the Association for Behavior Analysts International as yet another manifestation of colonialism which aligns with indigenous autistic author Jules Edwards assertion that ABA is forced assimilation reminiscent of the boarding school era. There are many other things that can be said about ABA, including the fact that there are now several students and reports to the government providing this practice causes post-traumatic stress and contrary to pro-ABA rhetoric, lacks the credible evidence to justify its existence. Ultimately, this issue boils down to just one question. Who gets to decide what behaviors are healthy and unhealthy? Gay behaviors were pathologized by the World Health Organization until May 17, 1990. The medical, a medical homophobia may have persisted for 150 years, but my people cannot wait that long for the university to officially recognize neurodiversity and publicly, publicly apologize for perpetuating systemic neuralism for we live roughly 25 years less than the norm majority and are about 10 times more likely to die by suicide due to being subjected to ABA abuse. Indeed, we can, how can we fill our committee commitment to attend classes at a university that continuously fails to fulfill its institutional commitment to provide a healthy and safe environment for all its students? Surely Minnesota's best university can do better. Let that sink in. Very well said, Bruce. I'm going to be reposting this on my website. So this letter does not die. It should not die just because this university wants to silence you. So just recently, this is, this is my last thing. I'm sorry. Um, just recently, I want to say about six months ago, I was approached with my friend, um, Emma Domain. Um, she is another um, autistic activist who lives in London. 
Um, we are just about best friends. And this person from NPR, um, her name is Liz. Her name is, I can't remember her last name. Yeah, her first name is Liz, Liz Tang, I'm sorry. Um, she works with um, NPR and was wanting to do a piece, um, a audio piece on ABA. And when she contacted us, I thought she wanted to blow ABA out of water. It was going to be negative and it was all going to be good. That, But I was completely wrong. I'm sorry, Liz Tongue. So during the interview, I had to make sure I scheduled it on a day where I didn't have anything else to do. Going through detail after detail, it is having to relive your own trauma is very stressful. Um, so I did write a blog about uh, my experience because it's easier to say, hey, read this link so I don't have to relive it. It's there and it's not going anywhere. And people can be, um, can be educated and know what people go through. But um, I did went into details I had never said out loud before. This interview, I want to say, was about an hour long. I was asked to voice record myself. I'm really good with technology, so that part was not a big deal. Um, so I did it with my phone, and she was already recording me via Zoom. I wasn't, you know, as I said before, I was an ABA for ADHD, and it was suggested by the this child psychologist that evaluated me. Um. I had to lock my children and partner out of my room. They did not need to hear what my trauma was. I did not want that in their head. So July, um, the July, it was supposed to come out on July 22nd. It was the same birthday as my mother-in-law, which I, she was basically my mother. I never had, she treated me how I needed to be treated and I miss her. She, she passed a few years ago. Um, but this article, the July 22nd came and went, um, was really excited. It was going to come out on my mother-in-law's birthday. Um, after a while they stopped, Liz stopped contacting me and I, it was in the back of my head that I went through this trauma when I didn't need to. Right. Um, and the last thing she said, not everybody could be in it. So in the back of my mind, I knew I didn't, I was trying to say, no, no, she wouldn't do that to me. She wouldn't make me relive this. If I, um, knowing that it was very traumatic for me. Right. So after, you know, they stopped communicating with me, Emma, she was communicating with Emma. Emma did keep me in the loop, obviously, because of how, how close we are. It came out on October 7th, just this Friday. It came out the day before my son's bar mitzvah. So the, so there was Emma, me and and another person who I know fairly well, he's been following me on Facebook for a while, very nice guy. And they interviewed him too. We thought that also, like you said, we thought there was going to be an expose of ABA. It was not. Um, it was in the form of a podcast, which you cannot play from the article. Their website would not let you. So I instructed Emma how to download a podcast, um, a podcast app, which was not a big deal. I started to listen to while I was working. I normally listen to podcasts when I was working. I was doing regular dog walks Monday through Friday, you know, trying to get that done. And it started out as an advertisement, how wonderful ABA is. They started it with Allison Singer from NCSA, who calls us the neurodiversity mob. They have not said anything about MMS when, um, when it was all over the news, they did not denounce it. They did not condemn it. Um, Allison Singer kept on saying how ABA is how she got her daughter back to speak, use the toilet, blah, 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 you know, without actually understanding her. So after they did that, they interviewed my friend, my friend, Brian. They spent a lot of time about him reliving his trauma, which I felt horrible for him, but he did a great job. Very proud of him. He did fabulous. So after they were done talking to Brian and I can't even imagine, he had it worse than I did. Um, they talked to Emma about what ABA is and it is different than conventional parent, uh, parenting. Emma did an amazing job. So 
during my interview with Liz, I talked about that my reinforcers were M&Ms. So she used that. They used the M&Ms example. That was my reinforcer. And I couldn't even look at them for years, as I said before. So after they did all that, they went back to pro-ABA and they had experts defend ABA. And they must have been four or five experts, but only one autistic talking in the show showing how bad it is and how traumatic it can be. God forbid they interview the people who actually experience it, not the people who deliver it. And that's how it ended. They gave, yeah, they gave more airtime to people who were pro-ABA. Um, we all feel used. It was awful. Um, I said after that I was not going to do any more ABA interviews unless it was an expose to show the harm it actually does. Um, I feel violated. I feel like I was stripped of my autonomy, like I was a scared little kid being exploited again, that if I did something out of turn, I was going to get beat. So I emailed the reporter. I I had to wait a little bit. I had to gather my words and I emailed her and I told her how I felt and I felt violated and I had to relive the trauma for no reason. And she gave me, you know, I understand they can't use everybody. If they gave me some warning, I could have mentally prepared myself for that, right? So she emailed me back. Apologies for not letting you know ahead of time when that story was coming out. We usually send stories to people the day of. I didn't realize how important for you to know ahead of time, given the trauma you experienced. I almost truly sorry that the whole process traumatized you. If I had known this was a possibility, I certainly would have communicated better, talked more deeply whether or not this is something you wanted to do. I feel awful that you were violated, but thank you for letting me know. I hadn't done a lot of reporting on trauma. This is something I'll definitely keep in mind in the future. Finally, I hope you don't feel like this interview was a waste of time. I knew it wasn't for me. I learned a lot about the conversation, including deeply ABA can hurt and traumatize kids. Unfortunately, I don't get the final say in my stories. I would have loved to kept your voice in that there was a lot of cut for times with edits. Anyway, thank you for being brave enough and generous enough to share your story. I am very aware that not all of the work and self-advocates you do is visible, but I may, but it all makes a difference and it all matters. That was extremely gaslighting. How did she not know if I experienced something traumatic talking about it was going to cause more trauma? Like, this is common sense. So I looked into how to interview survivors of trauma. This is going to be very helpful if I have any... Um, journalists, I'm listening or watching right now. Um, I put this together so you could know exactly what to do. Um, this, the, the source I got for this was sent to me by a Facebook follower, which I thank you very much. It's how to interview survivors of trauma. There is a way to interview survivors of trauma. Interviewing a trauma survivor can make the person relive the trauma if you are not careful. Sometimes there's no getting around it, but using these methods, the impact will not be as severe. Treat people with respect and gratitude. As yourself, how would you want to be treated if you were in the opposite position? Treat your interviewee that way. This includes respecting them, expecting someone's decision not to talk to you. If you should, you should always thank them. This also means not publishing or broadcasting a story when it goes against their wishes as extremely important autonomy and boundaries be a human and express empathy it's okay to say to someone i'm sorry you're going through this show people you care a victim of trauma had stated the approach should be trauma informed it means learning as much as possible about trauma before the interview when you are actively in the field be compassionate and sensitive respect boundaries and give the subject their agency. Take cues from your source about the direction of the conversation and treat them with kindness. Give subjects the opportunity not to proceed if questions are too difficult. Give them and have someone say they they trust to be with them for moral support. If they stop the interview, respect the decision. Respect the decision. All right. 
Okay. If possible, get to know the person before interviewing them about the traumatic event they've experienced. Don't start an interview by asking about the traumatic event. The totality of a person's life isn't the worst thing that's happened to them. Ask them about moot or mundane things. The conversation will normally steer itself to the subject you were you, you were speaking about. If it's led by a person who has suffered trauma, it will be better experience for them. Take care of yourself. This is self-care is extremely important. Journalists, bloggers, podcasters, etc., who have bear witness to the suffering of the others often traumatize them or often traumatize themselves. If you have extreme empathy, you will feel what they feel, especially if you have mirror touch synesthesia, like a lot of people in our community do. Reach out to your support system of friends, families, and others. Seek mental health services if necessary. I really hope this was helpful. Understanding ABA, what people have gone through, what similar people who've gone through something similar have gone through. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe or follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Keep on speaking your truth and never let your flame burn out. Thank you for listening.